Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Thanks so much for joining me. So I have so many conversations with organizational leaders about how social media strategy, especially when it comes to fundraising, can feel really opaque at best. At worst, it can feel like a time suck or a waste of time, definitely a colossal misuse of very limited capacity. The truth is not getting smart and savvy about your digital footprint means that you're leaving money on the table. And when we're talking about fueling our social impact, we do not want to leave money on the table. More importantly, it's really critical to find high leverage ways of bringing new people into your orbit and activating them as supporters and ambassadors for your cause. Even beyond fundraising, that is how organizations grow. So that's what I'm thrilled to talk with today's guest about. Christina Edwards is the founder of Splendid Consulting, and she spends her days helping social impact leaders use their digital assets, their website, their social media platforms, to add fuel to their fundraising and their supporter base. There is a hard way to fundraise, constantly searching and scratching for each new donor. And then there's the type of fundraising flywheel that you want to set up in which you're using the assets you have to do some of the heavy lifting for you. You can chase or you can attract. And what Christina and I talk about today how to think strategically about using digital assets is about attracting people to your cause and getting them excited. We talk strategy, we talk tactics. This episode is super juicy and super concrete. So grab a notebook and a pen. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I have been really excited to have this conversation with you on the show, both because I love talking with other folks who are helping organizations increase their social impact, which I know you are, and because there's so much juicy content, there's so much information (laughs) for you to share about how to do social impact work better. Um, So I'm really excited to dive in. Totally. I feel like this could be as long as a podcast as we ever wanted it to be. It could be nighttime. <laughs> we could do like a mini we're done talking about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, so let's let's actually start with you. Um, tell us a bit about Splendid, about your consulting company, and just how you personally came to be working with social change folks the way that you are. Totally. Yeah. So forever lifelong entrepreneur. And I like to joke that the only uh, W-2 I get is for myself, for my company. And Love it. In that way for a very long time. And I really got my kind of footing in the marketing world when I started an agency. So I started a PR and social media agency many years ago. And that was really getting my footing both in this world, in this realm, but also working with for-profits and non-profits. And that's really when... I saw the huge um, 
you know, distance between what the for-profits were doing and what the nonprofits were doing. And it wasn't even just marketing budget. It wasn't even that. Yeah, like, yes, we might have had more zeros or a little bit more flexibility, but it was just that they seemed so further, so much further ahead in what they wanted us as an agency to do. Right. And that's when I was like, this. No, let's make some money for these, whether you're a nonprofit or a B Corp or a social entrepreneur, like, like, let's make you guys some money. And that was really when I was like, this is the work that I meant to do and really made that shift. That's really interesting because you're not the first person that I've spoken to, particularly in the marketing world, that has noted that the strategies, the tactics, even sometimes like the frameworks that nonprofit social enterprises are using around marketing, there's just this gap between how we're talking about in the social impact space and how for-profits have been talking about it. And closing that gap just feels so urgent given what social enterprises are trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it today. I'm like, okay, if Nike and Jenny's ice creams can make a bunch of money, like let's make you a bunch of money doing you know, very similar strategies online, whether it's Instagram. Instagram many, many years ago used to be the thing that we said, you know, you should do that. You should start an Instagram account. Now, I think a lot of my organizations are like, all right, Christina, we've got it. But that's so similar to so many other things. Like now I'm like, okay, why aren't we automating? Why aren't we doing some of these other things? And they're like, well, I don't know. And that's the piece. And I know we'll dive into like influencers later. That's the piece where it's like, I don't want you to do it in five years. I want you to do it right now. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I think what's interesting you talk about Instagram is that a lot of the organizations that I work with, they have an Instagram account, they have a Twitter account, they have all of the accounts, but there's still this idea that it's like we have to have those so we have them and we have an intern who sort of updates our pictures and we share, you know, photos from our events, but they're not really seeing social media and sort of their digital marketing plan yeah yeah as like a strategic revenue driver it's almost like they're like you told me to make business cards okay fine and you told me to make an instagram okay fine and now i'm going to put it on a shelf and i'm going to throw it over the wall to an intern at best right or maybe they're going to do it but they're not believing in it right they're not even they're not even really if they're thinking about a fundraising campaign or any sort of online campaign right whatever action you want your community to take they're not thinking of it as part of a cohesive strategy and that's the part that i'm like wild about (laughs) i know you are i know that's how we found each other so so let's dive into it so let's start big picture how should organizations actually be thinking about social media and their sort of digital home and their digital like life online i mean it really is it's more than just a secondary website. So hopefully you have a website and I would think yes. of your Facebook, your Instagram, your digital platforms, whatever they are, your LinkedIn, your Twitter as that secondary place. You might even have a YouTube channel. You might have a Pinterest depending on what your organization does, right? These are all part of an intentional piece. And when you come from an SEO perspective, I type in you know, your organization's name, your brand name, like I'm going to get your website. And the next thing I'm going to get is a social network or two, right? And so you know, I'm going to put on my PR hat. If I'm a journalist thinking about writing an article about your organization, I'm going to type you in Google and I'm going to see what I find. And if I land on an Instagram page that 
is, you know, hasn't been updated in three years or does look like there's not really a brand voice or something unique and different about it. I'm out. It's not that interesting. Right. And so there's so much opportunity to hook people in. What we see a lot of times are these nonprofits that are, you know, these pillar ones that we look like, look at the charity waters, the new story charities, right? But if you think about what they're doing, what they're doing is they're stepping into their expertise. They're stepping into their thought leadership and their unique voice. And regardless of how big, how many zeros your operating budget is, like you should be too, right? That's what draws people in. Well, it's interesting. I mean, part of what I hear you saying is that we we actually are saying something with our Facebook page, our Instagram page with these platforms. And so we should be intentional about what it is. Exactly. I'm thinking I'm picturing this like generic Pinterest quote. Now you and me and everybody else can share a generic Pinterest quote on our feed tomorrow. And it will just, it just, it rolls on by, right? But I, I talk about a lot, like what stops the scroll? What stops the scroll for me is when somebody says something that's unique and different or somebody draws their line in the sand. Like, I believe this. And when I say somebody, it can be an organization. It could be a founder. It could be the brand as a whole. You know, a lot of times there's perceived competition in people's spaces. So for example, if you serve food insecure households, there's more than one of you, right? So like, what is it that you or do differently. Here in Atlanta, the free fridges are really, really taking shape, right? We see a lot of momentum around the free fridges and those that movement. And the founder down here, I mean, she's she's a force, right? And the way that she handles her social networks is very, very unique and different from any other nonprofit or organization saying we also help food insecure households, right? She stands out. So that's what I want every single organization to do in the same way Jenny's ice cream does, right? Hers is like totally quirky, totally cheeky, unique and different. And she's selling ice cream for $12 and it works. <laughs> There's so many reasons why that works. And no. you know, sorry about that. But so I hear, I hear intentionality, right? Yep. And I hear stand out, stop the scroll. Say a little bit more about why the stop the scroll is important if organizations are are really trying to see social media and their digital home as as a tool they can use. Yes. When we stop the scroll, we're doing a couple of things. One, we're literally getting people to stop the scroll and keep reading so that you can tell that beautiful story. I know every single brand has sat on a webinar about storytelling before because we know it's important and it is. But the first thing that we have to do is get people to stop and read it so you can tell the the story, right? What's the problem you solve? What's the solution? What's the impact? Why does it work? That social proof piece, we get all of that. But first, we have to stop the scroll, right? The other thing that happens is when we stop the scroll, it might be with a really great headline. It might be with a graphic. It might be with a stat. The other thing that usually happens is that people want to share it. It was so good and so juicy that I'm going to click that share button on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever I am, right? On LinkedIn, I'm going to comment and other people are going to see my comment. Basically, they're going to engage with your content. And the entire point of any of this is to step outside of your bubble. So to keep round numbers, if you've got a thousand supporters, a thousand people in your world, like let's get you 2000. Let's get you you having to be the one to go exactly and claw for that. next. I want other people, right. I I teach this concept of a street team, right. I want other people to go out and champion and advocate for you, right. The same way we see 
again, Charity Water, some of the bigger players have that, that in place, right? Where other people are saying, I support this organization. I buy from this brand because, right? And I'm so excited to share that because it's such an amazing product or what they do is so, you know, powerful. I love that. So in terms of how organizations should be thinking strategically, I hear intentionality, yep. I hear stopping the scroll, like saying something, doing yep. something that's going to get people's attention. And then there's... Um, the street team, which we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about, but yep. really leveraging your online space yep. Yep. to get it in the hands of people who can sort of do this work with you. And, build and the other pieces, you know, in most of my trainings, I, I talk about this, this concept of social action. So social action can be a number of different things. It could be making a donation, which is the big social action or bottom right. Game, right? But it could also be sharing, commenting, engaging with, signing up to be a volunteer. And the other piece that I really, really get like hung up on and I want my students to get really focused on is capturing that lead, right? Is having people opt into your world. Because if we think about stewardship or we think about nurturing, right? So when we can use Instagram or Facebook to take somebody from that platform and then get them into your ecosystem, yes. then, I mean, then that has a huge ROI. So it's not always, I mean, it's amazing when it's a cold lead to immediate donor in a matter of seconds, which I've gone through somebody's funnel that fast. That's great. And it's also amazing when people sign up and they say, just tell me more. I want to know a little more. And you've yeah. captured them that way. Right. Yeah. And I think. You know, I really want to highlight how important that is. I talk a lot in my own accelerator program about this idea of a funnel, right? And yep. so social media is one top of funnel strategy. And I think it can be hard for folks um, or scary or frustrating, depending on the lens you you are using to think about doing something that doesn't immediately turn into yes money. And so it can start to be like, well, I'll do that later because what I really need is the funding proposal or the thing that's where you see that one-to-one -one correlation. But yeah. really what I hear you saying, and I think just think it's so powerful, that's why I'm like really staying here for a moment, is organizations that want to build a funding flywheel, right? Something yes. that isn't just like them scratching and clawing for every dollar, have to be feeding the top of their funnel. They have to be bringing people in who simply say, tell me more. Yep. And then you build a relationship with those people and they eventually will give. Absolutely. You know, and then they give. And then what ends up happening a lot of times is we sort of go, oh, good, we're done, right? And we forget about the retention piece. And that's the other piece that's beautiful about social media is I work with several organizations that are international and with COVID and with all sorts of reasons, like their volunteers aren't able to physically volunteer the way they used to, right? So it's really important for them to stay up to date and to feel like they're part of community, Yes. And social media is a great way to do that, right? It's a great way for them to both consume content and get the stories of what's happening, but also to become involved because these are people who were used to hopping on a plane to go volunteer somewhere. And it's like, how else can they become involved? How else can they advocate, right? And how else can they like stay in that community that they self-identify with? Like I am part of this, right? I love that. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see organizations making um, in their use of social media. Yeah. So one would just, this is a huge one. It would just, just be that really watered down voice because well, they haven't really, like the, the quote on Pinterest, they like, haven't really like articulated their unique voice. And that means tone. That means buzzwords. That means everything. So I would call this a brand voice. So it's like who you are, what you stand for, who you're, 
ideal audience is. Don't say everyone, right? Like, who are you for? Who are you talking to? And what, what do you say? What words do you not say? You know, particularly in our sector, there are sometimes terminology that you're like, y'all, we don't say this. So like defining that ahead of time. Right. Right. And then saying, this is how we educate our audience is how we empower our audience. You know, I want to know another example would be organizations that serve home people experiencing homelessness. There's lots of them, right? So like, what is your unique stance? Why were you founded? Right. Tell us about that. I love that piece when people are willing to like, oh, this is our line in the sand. This is our expert thought leadership stepping in. Right. And you can't do that on the fly. It takes usually a brainstorm session and an approved brand voice with your founder, your board, somebody, you know, a couple of, I would say, executive level leadership. I wouldn't invite everyone, but I would get that core group that says, yeah, we're in agreement here. This is what we sound like online. So that's a big one. Yeah. What I, what I love about that is I always like when there's synergies, you know, in sort of one area of an organization's functioning, um, you see it show up in another area. So in the parlance of say strategic planning which a lot of organizations um i do a lot of work around sort of strategic clarity it's your theory of change right you have your mission statement and it's like you know end homelessness and there's a thousand of those but it's really your unique theory about how you're bringing about that change why you've chosen to do the work that you've chosen to do how you're showing up in in a unique way within the sphere of say homelessness or or hunger yeah And being willing to say like, this is where people often get it wrong. They think this, and this is not true. One of my students serves homelessness in New York city. We were talking about it recently and we were talking about how she could create a lead magnet. And I'm like, you know, that happens to be a cause that's really near and dear to my heart. And what would be really helpful to me is to know like, Hey, Christina, here's how you can actually help. And here's how you can hurt when you do this. You know, these are some, some ways you can help. And these are the ways we don't recommend, or these are some common beliefs that people, you know, feel about people experiencing homelessness. And that's actually not true. And being willing to say that. And I think a lot of times we, I've seen organizations who aren't willing to say that because they are scared of scaring away people, that's scaring right. away funders, scaring on, you know, it's like still part of this underlying, like everybody's our audience, right? Yep. We don't want to say no to anybody. And obviously exactly. as we know, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So really quickly before we go on to, I want to hear this, the second mistake, but you talk, you said lead magnets. Will you define for the folks listening, yes. you know, you and I are sort of really well steeped in this idea of lead magnet. I think that's a great example of a sort of for-profit yeah. marketing term yeah. that's so powerful in the social impact space, but we don't often call it that. I know I like, I use the word funnel within the first five minutes, but I felt like your audience would know funnel because I know you. <laughs> I talk about it about yeah, <laughs> but um, yes, okay. So a lead magnet is we're trying to collect typically an email address. We might even want to collect you know their phone number so we can send them a text message. But basically, we're trying to get the leads information. Typically, we're going to get them like for example from Instagram. They're going to opt into something of value, right? That is the key. We That's are not key. saying sign up for my newsletter. No one wants to sign up for your newsletter. No one wants like that's not interesting. I feel like that's right? going to be the visual that I put out for this podcast interview. Do not say sign up for my newsletter. That is Don't not an opt in. Yeah. No, you know I do have one freebie that says my new my opt in rate is over forty five percent. Here's why. Like you know like that's, that's interesting. Yes, right. Tell me what you're writing. Um. So in our in our 
in our for-profit world, this would be really easy. Like we see it all the time where it's like, give us your email and you get 10% off instantly. And I'm like, I'm in, you got me, right? Or you get free shipping. That's it, right? How, what's of value? So that's a value. Now in the social impact world, it might be something else. So it might be, you know, um, a roundup of top five things and like link to a video, link to a blog post. It might be some of my clients have sort of a, a brochure or a fact sheet or an infographic, right? It's just still that educating, empowering piece or a you didn't know piece, That's but right. it needs to be valuable for the person, right? Or maybe you're inviting them to something like be the first to know about blah, 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 blah. Anytime it's um kind of an early bird experience, that can be nice too. I love that. Okay. Yes. What's the second mistake? <laughs> okay. So the biggest, the next big mistake that I see is that organizations are doing all this work on the front end. So we've got beautiful digital marketing that's rocking and rolling. And then we take people to what I'm going to call a landing page. And what I mean is you're going off site somewhere onto the internet. So you might be going to your website. You might be going to a peer to peer fundraising page, might be going to a fundraiser somewhere. And it is terrible. Okay. Maybe it's a PayPal page. Maybe it looks super generic and I don't even know what it is, right? Maybe it's not optimized for mobile. Whatever it is, you've lost me. You've definitely lost a millennial. You've definitely lost a Gen Zer, right? This is just friction, 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 friction. You've made me click to too many places to take that action I wanted to take, particularly if it was to donate. And you took me off site and I don't even, like, I, you've lost me, right? So I love to see... You take me to a landing page that has a beautiful headline, a beautiful subheadline, a really compelling story, and you accept all forms of payment, right? So it's more than just PayPal. You've got a digital wallet, so I can use Apple Wallet. You've got PayPal. That's great. Right? So lots and lots of um, different ways of taking payment. That's another friction point because you just you're putting all these these pieces in and you're making it too complicated. That's right, and. It may make sense in our movie that, you know, these are the different steps, but part of what you're highlighting is as soon as people feel friction, they bounce and they may not even be conscious of why they're bouncing. Absolutely. It's usually the person who's in charge of the donor management software or the finances that's going, Christina, it has to be like this. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. They're actually, it doesn't. I promise you. So it's, I, I, listen, I've heard it and no. (laughs) And you've seen it work better. So uh, yes. So my clients that have switched from what I'm going to call a generic PayPal page, but you know what I mean? I'm putting PayPal on blast, but just a generic page and then do something that's more high impact. We've seen it 2X. We've seen it 5X their campaign all the way on up. Sky's the limit, right? Because you've just completely just removed all the friction across the way. So yes, a big one. So what's one more? Okay. Another one would be really around this concept of syndicating content. So you Mm. went through all the trouble of creating a beautiful story. You went through all the trouble of highlighting an impact point of, you know, telling a great story, telling the solution, telling why your nonprofit's amazing. And then you put it out on Instagram one time and you're no wonder you're exhausted. No wonder you're telling me it's not working because you're not syndicating the content. And by that, I mean using it in other iterations, right? So you can chop it up and you can definitely put that in an email newsletter. You can use it again and use different points of it again in a reel next month. You could use it again on a Facebook post. You can use it on LinkedIn. You're not repackaging it. You absolutely could create that and put it on a blog. And then my home run is like, you do any direct mail piece, 
there are ways that you can also use it for some direct mail down the road and use a pullout quote for that. So it's like, it's this, this sort of mentality of one and done that I see too, that a lot of organizations are so in it that we forget that like your average supporter isn't being served all of your content, right? So they're not reading it. And if they are, they're as distracted as I am and they loved it. And then their kid ran in the room and they totally forgot, right? So repackage it, send it back out again. You know, it's not about posting the same thing over and over and over again. It's about slightly, you know, painting the front door. Well, and I think that speaks a lot to the fact that people, people take in information in lots of different ways, right? So you take this amazing impact report you've done or a new training that you just released or, you know, some piece of content that you worked really hard on. And some people are going to read bullet points about that in an email and some are going to want to see a visual from it on Instagram. I'm so glad you said that. So I'm somebody, I tell my students this all the time. I'm a skimmer. Okay. I'm a skimmer. So bold it to me, the most important lines, bullet it to me give me a stat and I'm out. But I know, I know my full readers and they are, they want an editorial piece and I want that for them too. You want to give it, you want to give it to everyone. Right. And it's just, and and it's a good reminder too, that it's going to speak to different people in different ways. Right. Absolutely. So you have talked a couple times in our conversation about, um, this idea of you mentioned an influencer you mentioned street team i yep. know one of the things you talk a lot about is the power of ambassador marketing yep. so i'd love to to focus there for a little bit because i think it's it's a particularly powerful part of what you offer and i think it's again in this sort of setting up the mindset that organizations yes. have around marketing so talk about influencer and ambassador marketing in the world this is the piece that I think five years from now, a lot of organizations are going to go, oh crap, we should have done that sooner. Like this is the piece, right? They're going to have that, that come to Jesus moment. And it's like, have it now, right? Start it now. So basically this is a twist on my concert venue days. I used to work at a concert venue for many, many years. And whenever ticket sales were really, really low, we called the street team. The street team was really just a grassroots organic marketing team. They would go around town to the places that they knew that band, their fans hung out, they would flyer, they would tell people about it. And sure enough, we'd see a huge spike in sales. So this is that, this is the digital version of that. I will say, sometimes when I say ambassador program, people get what I'm saying. And sometimes I think they still think physical ambassadors. I mean, digital ambassadors. That's why I love it, right? So this is a street team basically is your champions, your ambassadors, the people that you know you can count on to support your cause and leveraging their own networks digitally to build up your organization, whether it's visibility, brand awareness, fundraiser, new program announcement, event, et cetera. Now that's that bucket. The other bucket is influencers and your street team is both. So you're, you're, The other end of it is influencers. And by influencers, I mean those social media personalities, celebrities. They might have a couple thousand followers. They might have hundreds of thousands of followers. That's the piece that I think 99% of organizations are totally missing out on. And these influencers, they want to partner with you. They actually do. (laughs) They want a cause to support on a regular basis. I found one recently. I've never heard of her. She had a couple hundred thousand followers. I think she was an author and maybe like in the wellness sector. And what really stuck out to me is when I hit her Instagram bio, 
coming to a webinar near Wii U, by the way, I totally took a screenshot of this. It had her name, it had whatever she did, her, her wellness blog, her, her um, book. And then it said that she, her, the causes she supported and she had them in the bio, like talk about how important that was. For wow. her. You know, imagine it said Christina Edwards, you know, a uh, marketing coach. And then it was like, boom, charity, boom, charity. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that I mean, and, and she's like not team. she's not a unicorn though. Like there's so many people like her that are like, yeah, I want to champion your cause. And I have 200,000, you know, followers that are engaged in my world and I want to bolster up yours, you know? So I want to talk about both of these. Yeah. Because I just I think you're right. Five years from now, hopefully it doesn't take five years from now, but I, I think organizations today need to be thinking if we're talking about how do we operationalize yep. our social media world, I think these two um, strategies are really important. So yep. let's start with the ambassadors. Yep. So these are, I, I love the metaphor of the street team. Yep. Um, there, you know, my husband is really into electronic music. And one of the things you notice about a lot of DJs is they have like their hype team, just yep. the people in the audience who are just out there. They are loving the music. They are yep. going crazy. And everybody around them is like, oh, my God, I want to be having that experience, too. Yep. Um, so I think every industry sort of has this. How? Yeah. What are a few steps that organizations can think about as they look to building a digital street team? Great question. So, and this is a huge distinction. I think you described it really well. The reason why those people at the electronic show are having so much fun is because it's not hard to cheer on and have fun and just like share the collective love or whatever. Right. And the place where we get in the mud about this <laughs> is when people, organizations start to treat this like committee work. This is not committee yeah. work. You are not on a board. You are not on a committee. I've been on an auction committee too many times. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. This is not, not a host committee. Correct. For an event. This is yeah. exactly. So that's the big distinction. I like to say you meet them where they are. So this is online and it, you make it fun. And the only way you can do that is when it's really easy and really plug and play. And this is what I teach inside my course, Amplify Social Impact, is that concept of like, okay, well, how do we do it? How do we make it fun? How do we make it where they basically just show up to the party, right? They show up to the party, they champion you, you give them the assets they need. Yes. And then the other piece of it is you're not asking them to do this year round. Okay. You're asking them to do this at a couple of, you know, key points throughout the year yeah. so that they stay in your world. We talked about the retention piece before, but like, we want to make sure that when Christina joins your street team, that I'm not like, well, that was hellish. I'm out. I'm not doing it again. Yeah. This, I, you didn't tell me I was signing up for an auction, right? Yeah. Um, listen, I tried to get off that auction committee <laughs> and they said, you're no, they said until while your children are still at this preschool, you'll forever be on auction committee. So right. This does not feel like that. So instead you want it so that not only do I stay on your street team year after year, all you're doing is adding more people, adding yeah. more ambassadors. Right. And so it just rows. It compounds. I was thinking about it like stock, right? Yeah. You're just adding each month to it or each quarter to it and it should compound. Right. And as you're thinking about growing your network, I mean, I always tell the folks in my program, 
you do not grow your donors just by thinking about who you know and who they know, right? That's your network is only going to be so big. And at a certain point, you're yep. just like, how do we find new people? This is how, right? This, yep. sort of this exponential ripple effect that's really exciting and powerful. Exactly. I, I mean, that's that. such a good point is like, yes, you have to work your sphere at first, right? And it's like, that is the beginning. Um, and that really is the ambassador piece, but the influencer piece, that is the piece where you're like, howdy stranger, like, yes, you know, and, and it, and it's really, it starts with alignment. You know, you have to treat it a little bit like dating okay. where you're starting to warm up that person, that, that influencer, right. Before you just say like, do you want to get married? Right. So you're warming them up a little, but you want to make sure there's an alignment, like a really good example that is very obvious would be there's a really large diaper bank here in Georgia. Okay. So really good influencer partnership they have are with mommy bloggers, right? Because that mommy blogger, she's got a hundred thousand other moms. These are, this is a great cause that they care about. So that's very like one-to-one easy for all of us to see. And then, and whenever I say that, I hear my other organizations go, yeah, but mine's not like that. Right. Mine's not that obvious. Yeah. And it's not a problem. Like there are, I mean, I've seen runners fundraise for charity water. I've seen bakers, you know, foodies, there's wellness. There's so many different, plus you have Gen Z who just want to be part of something really the greater good, right? That's it. So So how do you find, I mean, if anyone could be an influencer for your cause, how do you actually go about identifying the few that you should reach out to and how many should you reach out to if you're going to actually, you know, there's always the like, how many prospects do you need to get to see this as being a a similar sort of calculation? Totally. Well, it is a little bit of a numbers game and it is like, well, the world is yours. You know, you could just, but I would go with the lowest hanging fruit, like what feels like the most aligned and the easiest. So for example, is your organization very um, community centric, like even neighborhood hyper local? If it is, I'd start there. We have, in my city, we have huge influencers, right? But some of them appeal to a wider, like across the US, right? I'm thinking like fashion, lifestyle. Don't go to them. Go to the ones that are hyper-local. For example, our foodie influencers are huge around here and they're always going to restaurant openings, right? That's hyper-local, right? And you would be surprised just because they're blogging about like burgers and things doesn't mean they don't want to champion your cause, which might be about homelessness, right? So you start there. I would definitely like just start tracking it. I would also, it is a place to to look at your sphere and say, okay, who do we know? Because there's always somebody who's like, well, actually, well, actually, and I would start like that. And then you just want to warm people up before you make the ask. So again, you want to start building that relationship with them before you just say, can I, you know, or you know, join our street team. Here's what it's like. And what does that look like building that relationship? Is it reaching out? Is it sharing some of your content? How do you warm a stranger up? <laughs> so I'm picturing this happening on Instagram, for example, and it really starts with following their posts or following their account liking some of their posts, things like that. Commenting, engaging. Exactly. Building that relationship in the beginning in an authentic and true way. Right. And just, you might even start direct messaging them and just saying something, you know, like, and you may be surprised, like you wouldn't know what you wouldn't know without trying. Right. So I would just dip your toe in that land of just beginning to it almost like networking, right? Beginning to engage with their content. And then you just send a pitch. Now this shouldn't take months and months and months. So I'm not asking you to engage with, you know, 
500 influencers cold over the course of six months, right? You can do this in a way where you're engaging with them and seeing who's responding and things like that. And then you can just tell them about what your organization does and what it might be like to to partner. Again, the key here is you got to think about it from their shoes. They're used to a lot of brands DMing them saying, hey, can we send you product? Hey, will you post about this? Right. So you need to make your pitch really compelling and really interesting and not at all like you want to send them, you know, some free pillows, right? Like you want to make it sound really unique and different. Yeah. So I guess one question that I feel like some of the folks listening might have, um, and I think you'd just be really well positioned to, to address this concern is if I have, if me and my small team have limited time to aim at social media, marketing, fundraising, all of the things that often small nonprofits put into one bucket, (laughs) Um, you know, building buy-in and support. Yep. Should we carve out time during our week to build this influencer relationship? Or is that a later stage strategy? And if if it's now, why, how do I justify spending an hour doing that instead of an hour writing a funding proposal? Yeah. So one of my students, she used Giving Tuesday as her case study. So she was really happy because year over year, she would grow like 10% on Giving Tuesday. Okay. And so she saw some growth and then she followed this same process that I teach and she 5X her goal. She 5X'd it. And it was simply because she just asked people to help. And she actually went back to and saw that there were some people that were that low hanging fruit. It was like people had reached out to her. They were, these were even some local businesses. She asked the local businesses to help. They wanted to help. And she said she had this moment where one was a restaurant and she thought, oh, restaurants are being really hard hit now. Maybe I shouldn't even ask them. And they wanted to help. And so it's like, sometimes you have to get out of your own way, right? Out of your own movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think you're going to see a huge ROI when even in, this is really what is really, really important. If you get three ambassadors, that's three ambassadors and their reach that could be thousands of people that you reach. So I think that's really important. I would rather you spend half your time, maybe just creating content. If, if I'm looking at your like marketing plan, right. And the other half really to do developing relationships and partnerships because those partnerships have that, that huge ripple effect. Right. Yeah. I think what I hear you talking about that I just think is, especially for growth stage organizations, which I know we, we work a lot with organizations that yep. are trying to grow and scale yep. that you have to, as the leader of the organization, start thinking about ways to increase your return on the investment of your time and resources. You, I call them in, in my program, high leverage activities, right? So yes. you do something and you just get way more return. Okay. That thing. I call this, what I call this is low effort, high impact. So yes. My language I'm going to start yes. saying that because that's less jargony. Yes. No, 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 low effort, high, high impact. impact. So this is what I, this is the retention piece that I teach is like, yeah. How do you thank people in real time? You can use social media for that. You can do it in a very like batch bulk way, right? This is that same concept of like, it, it's just has such a higher ROI, yeah. even though I'm all about you posting a new video, posting some social content. That's awesome. But the partnerships working with influencers. And then the other thing I would really just remind your audience is 
it's not about like millions of, of followers online, Don't right? That's no, right. That's I mean, right. A, a powerful influencer might have 10,000, might have 3000. They right. might be, they might completely transform, right? With, with, I mean, it's just like, oh, it's so important. And it might be less intimidating, right? For you to make pitch to them. And they may be more likely to say yes, because they might not be having as many, you yeah. know, DMs, right? Absolutely. I love that. So I feel like we've talked about so many wonderful, meaty things. What, how would you, no, I'm not even going to ask you to summarize because there's just so many wonderful (laughs) threads that I will spell out in the show notes, but I'd love for you to leave the listeners with just advice that you have. I know that you are so steeped in this work. You work with the same organizations, type of organizations that I do. You spend your days thinking about how do I help small and growing nonprofits scale and do their impact at a bigger, higher level with more depth. Based on everything we've talked about, what advice would you give folks? Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot of like strategy. We've talked a lot of tactical and there's a couple of things. I'm going to give you a couple of sayings and they're sayings and you've heard them, but they work for me. One is done is better than perfect. So especially oh, when it comes yes. to marketing and comms, yes. could, could I spend three hours editing an email to death? I could, but I don't, Yeah, you know, um, and I see a lot of people who are in comms in marketing in fundraising, right. They're just in that editing to death phase and they're in it. Cause they're like, Oh, you know, they want it to be perfect and there is no perfect. Right. So just letting that piece go of like, get, just get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. Um, the other piece is really the mindset because, and the, the, the concept here is really just thoughts become things because if you believe in whatever the thing is like the influencers will come. And I don't mean that in like a, I mean, in a little woo woo way, but not in a, just, like, <laughs> not like, like they will appear out of nowhere. Yes. But, yes. But and you have to take some action. Pretty- but Law of attraction. Yeah, exactly. And so if you are pitching an influencer and you feel super weird and you're like, I don't have an, I don't know. I don't know who. Yeah. It's just not going to come through. But if you're like, listen, my cause is amazing. And all I need is three. And this person who is, you know, showing up, going to restaurant openings, I see how this could be an alignment for them. Or this person who's talking about concerts our biggest champion is such a music lover. This person's totally going to get it. Like just show them that enthusiasm and, and they and make it easy. Right. And they're going to come through. So reminding yourself of that, like if you can stay in belief, I mean, as an entrepreneur, I know, you know, this, it's like, if you can stay in belief about what you do, like people are drawn to you versus like, everyone has the self-doubt. Everyone is like, Oh, it's too much. Everyone hits that overwhelmed feeling. And that's where like your program that's where like being around other professionals just helps so much because it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would leave you with. I love that. Um, Done is better than perfect. There's um, this saying, it's like a poem. I don't really know what it is. It's the cult of done. I don't know if you've seen it, but I print it out for all the folks that I work with. I I love it. I love it. Yes, that's right. And it's pretty good for me because I am absolutely the like, I'm a procrasta learner. Like, okay. well, I know everything. I'm not going to do anything. Yep. Like, yep. Push through that. <laughs> you know, my friend, Sarah, who runs an online business, she was talking about how people used to point out her typos, like here and there. She's like, would have a typo in a social post. Yeah. And I was like, you know, someone pointed out one of my typos recently. And I was like, okay, yes. it's out there. Right. And I was like, 
but it's out there. Like my, it's out there and it's helping the world. And it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, did I swap out the R for the S? Okay. I can fix that. But like, would I have rather obsessed about that, you know, it being perfect or just have it out there for everyone. The idea out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people learn more about your work? You have a course, you have a a number of courses, you offer consulting. Tell us about where folks can find you and how they can learn more about working with you. Yes. So come hang out with me on Instagram at Splendid Consulting. And my website is splendidatl.com. And the best place to really learn about influencers and storytelling, what the heck to say online is taking my free masterclass. So if you go to splendidcourses.com forward slash masterclass, you can sign up for that. You'll learn about my program. You'll get a chance to save. but yeah, that's that's the place to be. We didn't even talk about. I have a Canva course. I have all that's sorts great. of things. So yeah, I'm I'm anything to do with what I call social fundraising, increasing revenue. That is my my jam. So come hang out. Absolutely, and I will just put in a plug. I have had so much fun playing around on your website and your free masterclass, and I love Canva personally. And in my acceler in my own accelerator program, really encourage folks to think about it as a way to like get out from behind the, we don't know how to do, like this is, don't let that be a barrier. This is how we batch content. This yeah. is how we don't sit out at our desk on a okay. Monday at 9am and go, what the heck should I post? We batch it out. We schedule it. It's done. We don't think about it for at least another week. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Yes, thank you. Just as meaty as I wanted it to be. Um, and as always, it's wonderful talking to you. Good to see you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that, if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. 
You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.